Hello, this is Mira Desi, and today we'll be mapping allulose on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. And sometimes, like today, we're talking about disruptive versus supportive food products. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Mira Desi. Mira Desi, the ingredient guru, is an author, public speaker, and board-certified holistic health practitioner who teaches how to navigate the grocery store's mammoth packaged food stock to decipher confusing food labels, understand the relationship of food additives to poor health, and to find real food. A holistic nutrition professional and a popular public speaker, she knows that it's not just what you eat, but what's in what you eat. And she's the author of the book, The Pantry Principle, How to Read the Label and Understand What's Really in Your Food. Let's get started with this important conversation with Mira. Mira, welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks for having me on, Andrea. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I love how we get to geek out on actual food and ingredients. So today, we're talking about some of our sweeteners or sweetener substances, and I'm wondering if before we dive into allulose, which is the topic today, if we can just have a little download from you on some of the suffixes that accompany our sweeteners or sugars? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that used to happen is people used to simply say, oh, if it ends in an oath, it's a healthy sugar because, you know, many of them do fructose and sucrose. And obviously, you know, we don't want to eat them to excess, but if it ends in an oath, it's a, it's a natural sugar, it's healthier. And then the ones that we were avoiding were things like, you know, anything that ended in an all an OL is a sugar alcohol with the exception of isomalt. And so that made it pretty easy to stay on top of. And unfortunately, part of the reason we're talking today is we seem to be coming up with all kinds of sweeteners that are now ending in an oath that actually don't represent a good choice for health. So we now need to educate our, our clients 
a little more deeply about what they're putting into their bodies. So I'm just going to ground on that. When we say something ends in an OSE, that's of course like glucose. It's O-S-E. And we know that in its chemical structure, it has some similarities. When it ends in an all, O-L, it's a sugar alcohol. These are things like sorbitol, xylitol, and whether those are good or bad, tend to, especially with xylitol, falls in the realm of where it came from, who the practitioner is. I know I have a lot of students who ask and wonder, but wait, isn't xylitol good? And really depends on how your digestion works, a number of factors. But what you're saying is that we, quote unquote, meaning we humans on this planet who are working in chemical factories are coming up with new chemical structures that confuse the situation of what things are. Because like what we're talking about today, it ends in an os, yet mm -hmm. it's man-made. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And you know, and, and this doesn't even begin to dive into the fact that a lot of different sweeteners we have to watch out for. What are they sourced from? Mm. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Right. right. Um, so just looking at that top level naming structure that identifies what it is, we are coming up with other alternatives that defy the naming convention that unfortunately the FDA is choosing to go along with the producer, which is going to further confuse both practitioners and consumers. So let's dive in and talk about allulose specifically. Give us a little history lesson. Allulose is actually a type of a natural sweetener. It appears in things like raisins and figs and molasses and stuff like that in very, very tiny amounts. However, it happens to be very sweet. So some genius somewhere figured out that you could duplicate that in a laboratory mm -hmm. and they have now created a form of allulose that because it is a form of allulose, the FDA has decided um, they had to make a decision about how it would be labeled. And one of the challenges with it is that it, because it's not metabolized the same way as other oses, the manufacturer applied to the FDA to say, oh, well, we don't think it should be included as a sugar on the label, as an added sugar. And uh, unfortunately, the FDA agreed with them just this month, October 2020. So it's called a zero calorie sweetener um, in many places, but what, is it, what does it do to our body? What's happening when we consume allulose? Sure. Um, well, you know, one of the biggest problems and the reason they want it not included as an added sugar is because they claim it's not metabolized. And so I'd like to just sort of take a little side jump and remind people that the last time we put something into the food supply that was not metabolized by the body, it was called olestra and it caused something called anal leakage. Mm -hmm. Anytime we don't metabolize what we're putting in for our body, it's not a good choice. Mm -hmm. And there are now a number of studies coming out that are showing that it causes gastrointestinal issues. And, and it's the whole raft of what we expect, you know, bloating, distension, nausea, diarrhea, et cetera. The scariest part is that it appears to alter the microbiome. There was a recent study that came out that showed that it alters mRNA expression, which is really not a good thing. 
And when we look at it chemically, and I want to get back to the microbial impact and even some of the sourcing, I know there are some connections to wheat potentially, but when we Mm -hmm. look at the chemical structure, it looks very similar to some of our natural oses, doesn't it? It does. And that's part of the, the problem because they're making slight tweaks in the laboratory. So technically it still gets passed off as allulose, but the way the, the body processes it is very different. And you know, one of the things that they've been looking at is to see if it's, for example, an appropriate sugar um, for diabetics. And so the, you know, the studies appear to show that it can help, you know, regulate diet induced obese expression. But the problem is it's doing that by altering the microbiome. And so there are going to be long-term consequences from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said, you know, there was a, a study that was done earlier this year that showed that it changed the regulation of the expression of mRNA. So we're getting right down to the cellular makeup with the inclusion of this in the quantities that we would be consuming if we were using it as a sugar replacer versus its natural occurrence in, say, raisins. Yes, absolutely. And the, and the other thing is because of the way the FDA has approved the labeling, it's in sort of a confusing place on the label because it doesn't show up on the top part as an added sugar and it does appear in the ingredients, but a lot of people might look at that and again, they're going to see that O's ending and think, oh, well, it's a, it's a safe sugar. It's okay to consume. And I will say that, you know, I have had clients who tell me, oh, you know, I thought it was great. There are, you know, a number of products that are starting to use it. And there's one company in particular that's using a lot of it. And people are telling me, you know, the third, fourth, fifth time that I have it, all of a sudden my stomach starts blowing up and I don't understand what's happening in it because of the exposure. Yeah, that's that tipping point where the bucket's then full and it can't Mm -hmm. actually process it anymore. I mean, this is true of all chemicals. When we look at some of even the specialty or healing diets, there's a certain amount of things that our body should be able to tolerate. And either we're in either the intake is too high or our body's ability to process has been damaged in some way. And in this way, we're taking something that we're meant to be able to process in small quantities and we're tipping it over, we're filling the bucket way too high so that the body's having adverse reactions. Right. And it goes back to sort of that age old question as a practitioner about, you know, people are seeking that sweet impact, but they don't want to quote unquote pay for it with calories. Right. And so there's this sort of, you know, emotional response that says, oh, look, it tastes sweet, but it doesn't, it's not bad for me because it doesn't have calories or it has less calories or whatever. And the truth is we're, we need to look at helping people reset their sugar palate so that we don't need to rely on these laboratory created sweeteners. So laboratory created sweetener, where does it come from? I mean, I know I've read some connections historically about it being sourced from or discovered first in wheat, besides it being found in the sources you mentioned, the dried fruits, the molasses, I think you said molasses, right? Molasses is one of the natural sources of it. Right. Uh, And so I've actually seen a number of different things. 
And it looks like they're, they're taking a lot of different things and then modifying it. Apparently, one of the other sources for it is jackfruit. Mm. Um, not necessarily that sweet, but when you begin to pull out enough of it and then begin to modify it in a lab, that's when you wind up, you know, having these larger quantities that they can use. And, and again, you know, you've mentioned this before, but it's about the fact that naturally occurring, it's in very small amounts, right? How they're putting it exponentially much larger larger amount that is a problem. And it's not just in a few foods, it's being added to, to sweets, it's being added to beverages, it's being added to other foods that they want to give perhaps a slight sweetness profile to, because we, we respond to sugar. So when we think about why we want to educate our clients and patients about avoidance here, we can definitely talk about the belly aches and the intestinal issues that you were talking about. Those are more immediate. And sometimes somebody might say like, oh, no big deal. And I didn't pay the price otherwise. But when you talk about microbial shifts and mRNA shifts, these are long-term impacts that we haven't yet been able to study and see the effect of, and then we might see downstream issues that we can't even find the roots for. How do you talk to clients about this long-term out-of-sight impact on their bodies? Part of the challenge is it's such a new sweetener that there's not a ton of science on it right now. There's, right. there's some, but most of the studies that I'm talking to you about, these are all within the last six months. And so we really don't know that downstream effect, although we know from other things that have happened to the food supply that impact the microbiome, that anything that impacts the microbiome is not good because it affects exactly. neurotransmitter health, it affects the immune system. Yep. Like there, there's this whole cascade that happens when you, when you mess with the gut. We know that. Yes, we <laughs> absolutely know that. Um, And so again, it comes back to, you know, something that I touched on just a few moments ago, it's about helping people understand you can reset your sugar palate. You know, it's it's not about, gee, what can I eat that I don't have to quote unquote pay for in calories or, or whatever. It's about how do you eat a nourishing, nutrient-dense, satisfying diet and learn how to make those shifts so that you don't rely on those things. I think this also goes back, Mira, to this notion of if your grandmother didn't know what it was, don't eat it. Like we, we just like, why are we eating this? Even if we are resetting our our sweet palate, how do we embrace the sweeteners that are natural, naturally occurring, and some even can have some positive benefits on the body, depending on the body we're talking about. Isn't that true? Yes, absolutely. And I think it comes down to that whole bio-individual thing where, right. you, you know, each person is so different and you don't know what's going on. I, I mean, I will confess I tried it because I just had so many people were like, oh my gosh, have you heard about this? And I was at a conference and there were these, you know, quote unquote, keto cookies. And everybody's like, oh my God, these cookies are amazing. And I, I ate half a cookie. I'm like, I don't feel so good. But I'm also someone who has an impaired gut function anyway. Mm -hmm. Um I'm diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. I manage it really well. I probably should have known better. And it was like, yeah, I paid for that. Right. And that was when I was like, okay, we really, because before it was sort of not really on my radar. And then I was like, let's dive in and see what's going on. 
And, you know, as I mentioned, there's, there's a lot of studies that are starting to come out that show gastrointestinal impact that show the, the fact that it's altering things in the system. And I believe one of the things that's going to happen is because it's altering the microbiome, because it's changing things, they're currently getting some positive impact on diabetes. Mm. There's a one particular that looked at diet-induced obese mice, and they had a quote-unquote positive impact, but they messed up their poor little guts. Right. And, and so it's like, yeah, that's not great, but it's going to be promoted for that just as a lot of the other artificial sweeteners were, you know, promoted as being healthy for diabetics because it wasn't going to overwhelm their blood sugar and it was a way that they could consume sweet instead of learning how to modify the diet for the bio-individual body needs. It makes me think a lot about pathophysiology, right? Everything is a chemical that we put in the body, whether it's a pharmaceutical, a nutraceutical, a food substance, and everything has a risk and a reward. We can't put something in the body. We might see a reward in the blood sugar levels, but there is a risk when we use something that's not natural or that's impacting a certain pathway in the body. And this is what's happening here. Mira, as the ingredient guru, can you tell us where you are seeing allulose and what we should be keeping our eyes open for? Sure. Well, it's definitely appearing in, like I said, some keto products because it's a sweetener that, you know, and personally, I got to say, I think that's sort of a, a runaround, if yep, you will, totally. you know, from a natural source. Yes. Well, it's okay, but it's really not because it's been modified in a lab. Um, it does tend to be put in things like cookies. I've seen it in protein bars. I've seen it in other, you know, protein shakes and things. So there's, it, it's basically being used as an alternative to some of the other low calorie or non-nutritive sweeteners. Such a good point. And for us to look at those ingredients, I always remind people not to look at the nutrition label, but to read the actual ingredients because the sugars with something that has allulose may be low, but the damage of the ingredients may be high. Any final points for clinicians listening to this information today, Mira? You know, just to remind them that yes, it is a monosaccharide. It is a very simple form of carbohydrate. It's just been processed in such a way and it's something that doesn't behave in the body the same way as, you know, a form of sweetener such as glucose or fructose. So well said. Thank you, Mira, for shedding light on this ingredient that we definitely want to avoid. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, 
please head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Finally, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear on the next podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.